Father, we thank you so much for what that, that song says. Lord, that all of what we go through on a daily basis is it's you taking us on a journey, Father. And you take us on a journey with our mind. Father, you take us on a journey with our heart. And a lot of times, Father, we don't understand why you do what you do. We have no clue why we go through some of the things that are so unbelievably tough in our lives. Our mind can't comprehend it, but at the same time, your scripture is, is very clear. That at the end of this life, we will look just like you. That you are doing a work in us that when you're done, Father, we're going to look just like you. So the reason we go through what we go through is because, Lord, you're refining your children. You love your children. We thank you so much that this is not the it. This is not the end all be all. This is not uh, the end of the road with our relationship with you, Lord. There's always more. You're always trying to take us deeper. There is no depth to your love. And so, Lord, I, I welcome the journey. In here, we welcome the journey. We welcome the, the stumbling blocks, Lord, that get turned into stepping stones. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. And God, we thank you for your presence in this room right now. And God, I just want to know what it is that you want to do with us today, this morning. Sometimes when we don't know what to pray or what to do, it's good to just give thanks. It's good to just thank you. And so this morning, Lord, before we jump into this, as a congregation, let's let's just thank him this morning. Whatever's in you to, to say, to pray, to clap, to, to dance, to sing, just in this moment. And don't worry about what you sound like because... Be honest with you, we're all we're all the same, we're all family, but just open up your mouth and just thank him. Thank him for your house, thank him for your car, thank him for your for your family. Thank him that you, you woke up this morning. Lord, having a heart of thankfulness, God, will always center us back on the gospel of who you are. So Lord, we thank you this morning. We just want to praise your name. Lord, things may not be the way we want them to be, but they're exactly how you intended them to be in this moment. And Lord, we trust you. We trust your timing. We thank you for your timing in our past. We thank you for your timing now. And we thank you for your timing in the future. That it's perfect. Be here, Jesus. Come on, Spirit. Come on, Spirit. Come on, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord, show us how to step. Show us how to walk. Show us what you want to do with us this morning, Father. We need your spirit. We love you. We thank you. Continue to speak to us during this message. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You guys can be seated. Yeah. Welcome. I'll tell you what. The Lord's in the building. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being with us this morning. As I look out and see all you guys breathing and alive, guess what? You made it through <laughs> the uh, holidays. You're here. It's good. Um, thank you so much for showing up. You could have spent your time anywhere, but you have decided to come and listen to me talk. It's interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you to everybody who helped out with the holiday season, Christmas Eve, uh, New Year's Day. It was a weird year with those two um, holidays falling on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. so we, we definitely had church on Sunday. We had a Sunday night. and Same thing with uh, New Year's Day. And so, um, as we jump in this morning, I'm so used to like walking up and down the, the, the uh, aisle. And I don't want to be on the scooter doing that because, to be honest with you, it's like a workout on this carpet. It's ridiculous. It doesn't, it just is not good for the wheels. So, you're going to see me stand up and sit down quite a bit today because that's just, that's what you got. Um, 
But my leg's doing great. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for those of you who've helped me out in the past three, four weeks with it. Um, and thank you to, uh, he's not in here right now, but Beck for preaching last Sunday and opening up the Book of Romans. Let's, I know he's not in here, but let's just give him a round of applause for that because I cannot do what I do without him, without our leadership. Um, and he operates in the, the office of a teacher. You hear that language a lot around here because we are so much about the fivefold, which comes out of Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. All five of those offices doing one thing, to build up the body of Christ. We need all of them. Nowadays, there's so much put on the pastor that you ask any pastor in town, hey, are you overwhelmed? Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> you expect, expect us to do everything, and that's not the way the Word laid it out. So, we got other people in this congregation who operate in the other, the other gifts, the apostle, the prophet, um, the evangelist, the teacher, the pastor. And so it's just a joy to see people operate in that. And it's a joy to see Beck be able to do that. And he laid the landscape out for us. It was great. Um, but it's also a tall order to try to sum up the entire book of Romans in 30 minutes. <laughs> um, and he did very well with it. What today is going to be is more of an introduction alongside of explaining to you the significance of the timing of this book in relationship to what Eesus, what the Lord is doing with Eesus. So I'm going to be introducing more of the structure of what is being preached throughout the book of Romans. Number one, we know it's the gospel. <laughs> we know it's the gospel. But to give you guys a little bit of an understanding of from chunk to chunk in this book, what the common thread is that, is, that connects every single chunk. So we're going to be diving into that uh, this morning. We are going to be reading the Word. I'm not just going to stand up here and talk all day, because you guys know what we do. We've we got to jump into the Word. I kind of went long last uh, service, and so i got to pare it down just a little bit, so I don't keep you guys here till you know, 3 or 4 o'clock. Just, just kidding. You won't, you won't be here that long. But as Beck laid this thing out for us, we, we understood that Paul's intention in bringing the gospel to Rome was almost a challenge to them. Because as we read in the first few verses, their faith was being proclaimed throughout the world. People were saying, uh, we're hearing about these people in Rome and their faith towards the Lord. Man, how cool would that be if somebody said that about you, about us? That at Jesus Christ Fellowship, man, they're doing it over there. And not doing it because we've got the greatest programs, we've got the greatest youth ministry, we've got the greatest worship ministry, or whatever. Because we've got the coolest red carpet. Okay? That's not it. <laughs> but because of the gospel. That's the reputation I want. But Paul, his intention with this letter to Rome was to make sure that the gospel that he was preaching was the same gospel that was being lived out and preached in Rome. And it came by way of almost a challenge saying, let's compare gospels. Because if it's real, if what's in me is real and you're living the same thing, I just want to make sure as an apostle who's um, called to establish is, a, is that this church is established on the correct gospel. And then he challenged each one of us. Beck, what a great... He said, do you live out of the gospel of yourself? Or do you live out of the gospel of Jesus Christ? One is the good news. The other one, you will fall flat on your face trying to fill in the blank. You end up dead. And I'm not talking about just spiritually or emotionally. I'm talking about physically as well. When you live out of the gospel of yourself... It's like beating your head up against the wall. Everybody in here knows what that's like. And if you don't, I'm sorry, you're not human. <laughs> okay? Teach me your ways. Just kidding. Anyway. But it was, it was such a great challenge to be able to hear that. So again, I said, today we're not only going to be looking at more of the structure of Romans, but also connecting this significance of this book to where Eesus is right now. And I have a responsibility as a leader to always be a few steps ahead. Ten steps ahead, whatever, however many you want to 
count. Always praying, always on my face, always on my knees, asking the Lord, what is it that you are doing with this church? Where are we going? And are we taking the right steps to get there? Now, on a daily basis, I ask that question, and sometimes it's like, oh, Lord, we got some work to do. And other times it's like, hallelujah. And the times when it's the hallelujah, that looks more like the gospel than anything else. I'll tell you what. Amen? Amen. So, as I pray, and before I say that, let me say this. One point that Beck kind of expanded on, which I just want to make a uh, personal, um, I don't know, take a personal shot at or, or let you know how it's affecting me personally. Let me say it that way. He made a point saying that anybody who's ever preached the book of Romans, it has completely transformed their, transformed their life. And as I read about these pastors that have gone through this book, it not only transformed them, but it transformed their church. Now we've got some major people in, in history who've been transformed by this letter. Augustine, Martin Luther, or some big names. As I'm studying this, I would let you know on an individual level, it is rocking my world. And I'm going to tell you that as this book is preached... I'm not saying get ready for it to rock your world. I'm saying it's going to. Not because of me shoving this thing down your throat. We don't do that here. <laughs> but because of the potency of what is in the book of Romans. Man. And it's not the gospel of Alex. It's not the gospel of Jesus. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is why it's changing and confronting everything that is in me that is not of the gospel. Does that make sense? So, again, praying about where Eesus is, what the Lord is saying to her, where we're going. As the Lord begins to speak back to me, I have to let you know that it's scaring the crap out of me. And I'm like overwhelmed. I'm freaking out. Now you guys are looking at me like, oh my goodness, the pastor's freaking out. What's going on? <laughs> and then I said this in the first service, in one fell swoop, they all got up and left. <laughs> Please don't leave, okay? What I am saying is that the overwhelming fear and or trepidation that is in me right now doesn't cause me to run out the door. It causes me to turn and put my hand to the plow. Because it's like, man, we got some work to do. But it's not just work. It's this living out of what is spoken in this book. And the realization of what is in this book hitting you in the heart. Uh, I'm going to make this comment again later on in the message that we talk a lot about transforming this city. Now, if we talk about it, are we about it? Is that happening? In some ways, yes, maybe small ways. But the only army that can transform a city is one made up of transformed soldiers. Each and every one of you in here, I'm telling you, you got to let the Lord transform you. And I'm not saying that you haven't been transformed by the gospel. That is not it. But let me say this what's in you is going to come out of you. It will, whether you like it or not. You can put on. Try to be this Christian and, hey, just because you park in a garage don't make you a car. Just because you sit in the red pews don't make you a Christian. It's you living the gospel out. And so I want to be a church where people say there's, there's nothing but the gospel being preached there. And as we see these empty pews begin to get filled, they're filled because we don't have a great bulletin. We don't have a great website. We're not great at, at uh, communication or efficiency or administration. Not because of those things, but because everyone in here, Romans 1, 16, Paul says he's unashamed. I want these seeds filled because we're unashamed to talk about the only thing that will transform an individual's life. Are you with me this morning? Yes. So the Lord's been speaking to me saying, hey, I'm bringing you guys into a new thing Okay, that word has been spoken over Jesus for the past three or four years. Bringing you into a new thing.
But this new thing is honestly a restating of an old truth. And here's, here's why. I'm, I'm, I'm so... I don't want to say emotional. I don't think that's the right word. As much as... When I watch the news, oh, yes. I'm good for about five minutes. Then I'm like... Man. Ooh, yes. <laughs> let's talk about it. Let's talk about some sports or something. Because oh, you, know? yes. you get a... You get a uh, an idea of what's going on outside of the walls of the church and you realize this world needs the gospel and she doesn't even know it doesn't even know it but it highlights the church's reaction to the world and I'll tell you what we're too quiet but this doesn't mean run up into your social environment and start smacking people in the head with the bible and only being, oh, well, let me just wait for you to stop talking so I can word vomit scripture all over you. That is not it. The Lord is saying to this church that I'm taking you up off the bench. I'm done preparing you. And I'm putting you in the game. The very reason that I've planted you in Fort Collins, you will now walk in that calling. And I'll tell you what the calling is. You guys know this. The fivefold building up each individual to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Jesus Christ. So that we are no longer tossed here and there by every wind, wave, and doctrine. So that we can grow up into the fullness of who Christ is, build, building up the body in love. Yes, yes. So that we can go outside of these windows, these walls, yes. and transform Fort Collins. I am not talking... I'm not, I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker this morning. I'm saying he's, he's going to put our hands to work. There's no more preparation needed. He's, yes, going to walk through things with us. And if he needs to add, he will add. If he needs to strip away, he will strip away. He's constantly working on us, all right? But the part that I'm telling you that overwhelms me is that the very thing that we were put here for, he's saying, okay, now, go. I'm freaking out. <laughs> and it's a good freaking out, I'll tell you that much. But he's asking us to bring a message. Today we got the message and the messenger. And as we take a little bit more of a structural look at the book of Romans and all of what is being spoken, there's a common theme that knits these big chunks in this book together. And it's very simple. Yes, it's the gospel. But it's the righteousness of God that we see all throughout the book of Romans. Now, the reason why that is so potent is because of how Paul begins to unwrap the righteousness of God. And he has an audience. He's got an audience of two different types of people. He's got an audience of the Jews who are in and of themselves self-righteous because they, as they are entrusted with the carrying of the law, Paul gets right in their face and says, you judge people according to this law, but you don't live by it. Man. Man. Thank you. Thank you. Smacks you right in the face as a believer. I judge people based on what I read in Scripture, but Alex, are you even following it yourself? And then he's talking to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are non-Jews, non-believers alike, and they're considered self-indulgent, just wanting to pleasure, to be jumped to, to, to pleasure themselves as, as much as possible. And so those two, the self-righteous and the self-indulgent, is who Paul is speaking to. And he rears back in the first few chapters and he lets it fly. He lets it fly by doing one thing. He talks about sin for exactly what it is. Smacks you right in the face with it. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that reveals the righteousness of God. It's also the unrighteousness and sin of man that reveals how gracious and righteous of a God we have. 
You, are you with me this morning? Amen. You catch that? This book is about the righteousness of God. <laughs> the righteousness of God who saves and justifies an unrighteous man. You and I. Because of sin, we are separated. But we have a God who says, you know what? I know. And I am going to be the solution. That in and of itself, ladies and gentlemen, is more than enough of a reason to get up and smile in the morning. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm not going to say I don't care about what you're going through. I do. I really do. Because as we sang that song, a journey, or it's taken us through a journey of letting go, being fully and completely submitted to Him in our mind and in our heart as well. What you go through is important. But I'll tell you what, what a gift we have in the gospel and what a task, I should say, of presenting that gospel to the rest of the world. See, we spent the last four weeks, December, talking about what? Service, right? We're going to get to read in the very first verse of chapter 1. And in your bulletin we have, I have chapter, uh, chapter 1 verses 1 through 17. As I began to study, I jumped into like verse 8 and then 11 and it was going all through those verses and the Lord said, beep, beep, hold on. I thought you said you were going to go line by line and word by word. So I'll be honest with you, I haven't been able to get past verse 1. Alright? I bet communicated there's 430 some verses. In this, uh, in this book. Can you imagine going one verse a week? Hey, we'd be here for the next six years. But hey, if that's what happens, that's what happens. Are you guys with me this morning? This gospel, ladies and gentlemen, is the only message. It's the only message worth talking about. It's the only message worth, pre worth preaching. And it's not that we need a new gospel. So often we hear that other fellowships are not really getting into the Word. And that's kind of why this world is going where it's going. Because the Christian is too quiet. If we're going to preach anything, if we're going to be transformed, and let me ask you this question. Does anybody in here want to be transformed? Yeah. So here's what I'm going to ask before we, we jump into this. If you want to be transformed. Yes. Yes. I want you to lean in on this. Mm -hmm. If there's anything else that's distracting you, a phone or a gadget or whatever, put that thing down. I mean, unless you got your Bible on it. <laughs> <laughs> Swipe left. Better be changing chapters, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Makes me feel good when people laugh. <laughs> uh, lean in. Lean in on this. Because this isn't the gospel, like I've said, of Alex or Beck or Rick or Johnny. Um, this is what gives us life. This is what gives us a second chance. When we realize what the gospel is, in comparison to how wretched sin is, man, it'll knock a hole in you. So I'm just asking you to lean in this morning. Amen? So what is this message? You know, I think, well, my mom got me this book. Uh, which is the complete works of Oswald Chambers. And I'm telling you, it doesn't work when you underline everything, okay? You can't just underline the whole book. And then you go back and you're like, what did I, that, that, how did that mean anything to me? It's just the whole page is underlined. So I've been trying to make sure that, you know, I take notes in all these other places. But he says something that just caught me. And i got to read it to you. It says, what is needed today is not a new gospel, but live men and women who can restate the gospel of the Son of God in terms that will reach the very heart of our problems. The question is, are you willing to be unashamed? Are you willing to restate an already old truth? Foundational truth. The Lord is just asking you to be willing to open up your mouth and speak what is going to save people's lives. Think about it that way. My analogies ain't going to save nobody. Your stories will only allow you to connect with somebody. And that's good. Don't ever stop telling them. But it's the gospel that will change somebody's heart. 
Amen? Amen. Good. So Paul was one of those live men and women who was set apart to simply state what the gospel was, who it was, and what it set out to accomplish. And so we're about to jump into this message because we have to understand the message if we are messengers. The end of the message, we'll look at Paul as a messenger and just pull some things out of that, ver that first verse. Uh, but like I said, this book's broken into chunks. But the common theme that connects all of those chunks is the righteousness of God. We have to understand what the righteousness of God is. But just to give you uh, more of an introduction to the outline and structure of the book of Romans. Uh, number one, it's not about Paul. But it starts off with the righteousness of God okay, in receiving the unrighteousness of man. And that's from chapter 1, verse 18, to chapter 3, verse 20. It's a big chunk. That's what we'll be in for literally the next like 25 years. It's going to take us a while. The next big chunk that we see is the righteousness of God. Again, that's the theme that connects all of this stuff in saving an unrighteous man. And that's chapter 3, verse 21 through chapter 5, verse 21. That's another big chunk. Then we see the righteousness of God is the goal of salvation. Paul speaks about that. From chapter 6 to chapter 8. And then chapters 9 and 11 are the righteousness of God in history, i.e. with the Israelites. Then you got chapters 12 through 15, which is the righteousness of God reflected by believers. Now you got to ask yourself a question on a daily basis. Do you reflect as a believer the righteousness of God in your life? Do you reflect the gospel? And then chapter 16 is just Paul's closing, um, which in and of itself is still very, very potent and very deep. But Paul starts out very abruptly. And here's where we start to get into the meat and potatoes of, of, of this, this book. That in order for us to understand what the righteousness of God is, we have to effectively understand what sin is. Yes. Now I'm telling you, everybody in here, me included, does a great job of rationalizing our sin. I will tell you what. Yes. We can cloak it in good Christianese, Christian language. But sin is very real. And Paul begins by leveling the playing field with who? The self-righteous and the self-indulgent. The Jew and the Gentile. And he levels the playing field by speaking about sin and saying, you know what? Jews, your sin is no different than these non-believers. No different. So you're walking around here on your high horse thinking that you are something because of the law that you carry, but you don't live it out. Yet we have the non-believer who is just off in la-la land doing whatever they want to do. Paul communicates to the church at Rome that sin is the reason why we're separated from Jesus. And it's because of his sacrifice that shows his righteousness so that we can be connected to him. The wretchedness of sin and how we so openly welcome it into our lives and homes all on the premise of two things. Satisfaction and comfortability does nothing but expose us to the nakedness of our unrighteousness. Leaving us to foot the bill, which according to Scripture is death. Interesting thing about the book of Romans is that when you preach another book of the Bible, you actually come and use cross-references from Romans. It's just, that's the book you go to. We are going to cross-reference the book of Romans with the book of Romans. Because <laughs> it's just so potent. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Now, that's real. He's trying to communicate to these two groups of people that you're playing with fire here. 
that when you step into the gospel of yourself, you actually step into sin. And you begin to live a life that does not show who Christ is, but you live a life that shows that you got it taken care of. Let me ask you this question. How's that working out for you? Because <laughs> I'll tell you what, it ain't working out for me. <laughs> it's not. Sin leaves us exposed. And it shows that we are unrighteous. Born into sin. My unrighteousness shows the righteousness of God. Because of what He did. This is not some cool story. We didn't make this up and all of a sudden millions and millions of people are now you know, following some, some blind religion. I have a God who got out of the tomb. He did that because he wanted to close the gap that sin created between me and him. And therefore, a righteous God justifies an unrighteous man. I do not deserve that, nor can I earn it. And if there is any message that we are going to bring to the world, it's that you and I have fallen short. But the solution is that cross right back there. He's trying to make sure, Paul's trying to make sure that the Gentiles and the Jews in the beginning parts of, of, of Rome, uh, excuse me, of Romans, understand that there's nothing you can do to make yourself righteous. Us in this room, there's nothing we can do to make ourselves righteous. That's what points towards the magnificence of the righteousness of God. He gave it as a free gift. He's only asking for you to ask for it and to, to receive it. It's one thing to fill these seats with people from other churches. Which, you know what? I would never turn anybody away. I really wouldn't. But to fill the seats with people who have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and then want to go and pay it forward. Go and do the same thing. Bring more people in to hear what they cannot survive without. Are you with me this morning? Yes. This is this message that's being preached. The unrighteousness of man reveals the righteousness of God. And that's something that we cannot survive without. So again, as we, as we walk through this book, constantly keep that, not phrase, because it's more than a phrase, keep that principle in your mind. The righteousness of God. Now, before we transition to looking at the messenger and actually looking at Romans 1, verse 1, I'm wanting to lead you guys well through this. And that means I've got to lead the leadership well through it. The staff, got to lead them well through it. And our council, I don't lead our council, excuse me, but what I'm going to ask of our church here is that you spend time in this book and you don't just hear it on a Sunday morning. That everybody in here, I'm asking for a desire to be dropped in you to start to study the book of Romans. Because I can get up here and talk about it. And I can open it up. And it can, it can transform you on a Sunday morning. But what about the other six days of the week? When you dive deep into this thing, it will completely change, like it did for Augustine and Martin Luther, their view on not just religion, but their view on their relationship with Jesus Christ. My relationship with the Lord is changing. It is so great because I'm so much more grateful for what I've been through coming to this point because I'm a sinner and have fallen short. But he was so gracious enough to pick me up, dust me off and say, you know what? I got you. So I'm going to ask the women's ministry, the men's ministry, the, 
children's ministry, though. From our front office administrator to, to me, down to people who vacuum these carpets. Let's, as a church, study this whole thing. If you don't know what to get into, when you open up your Word at night or in the morning, just flip to the book of Romans and just start reading it. So I'm, I'm kind of appealing to you guys right now to do so. doesn't mean you have to. But if you want that transformation, jump into this book. So here I am communicating to you that the Lord is putting us in a position where He's now asking us to be very, very intentional about our calling. Letting you know that that kind of is overwhelming and scary. But it just means, hey, put your hand to the plow. And he's saying plant with the most potent seed in existence. Plant with the gospel. Go share the gospel. If I'm asking you to go do that, I'm asking you to be a messenger. The Lord is asking you to be a messenger. What can we take from Paul being the messenger? Like I said earlier, this book is not about Paul. But I think, and I use this analogy in the... In the well, it's not even an analogy, it's the truth. Because I know Beck so well, and spend time with him, there's things that he can say that I just understand. And he doesn't have to explain. Just because I, I, know, I know the messenger when whatever message is being communicated. Same thing with my dad and my mom, just because, hey, grew up with them, right? Yeah. It's good to understand the messenger and understand why he was called, where he came from. Now, I'm not going to dive into the expansive history of, of who Paul is and, and whatnot. We know Paul used to be a Pharisee. And as he was traveling, he got knocked off his high horse. I love saying that. Because <laughs> I know us in here, we've been knocked off our high horse sometimes. He gets blinded, and his name changes from Saul to Paul. And then he is, I don't want to say hell-bent. I want to say heaven-sent on preaching the gospel to everybody. Completely transformed. That, that, that's the man we're talking about. He went from persecuting Christians to converting non-Christians into Christians and being so passionate about it. But like I said, I was trying to study this and I, I immediately jumped down to verse 8 and started picking things apart. And Again, in your bulletin, we got 1 through 17. I'm going to highlight verse 1, verse 11, and also verse 16. Now, the Lord arrested me in my study as I was in verse 8, 9, and 10, whatever, and He just said, look, uh, didn't you say you were going to go line by line? Verse by verse? So I haven't been able to get past verse 1. told you that already. But there's so much in there, we could preach on it for a month. We really could. We won't. But there's a lot in there. So if you have, if you have your word, please open up to Romans. We also do have it on the screen here. And it says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And that's just the first verse. So if we were to break that down, I kind of already told you about who Paul was, who Paul is. There's obviously way more to study about this guy. But nonetheless, he's the epitome of a transformation. What I love about the book of Nehemiah that we just got out of, the Lord didn't do the work through Nehemiah until he did the work in Nehemiah. The same is for us. The Lord's going to do a work through you, but guess what? He's going to do it in you first. The Lord wants to do a work through Paul. He did a massive work through Paul, obviously, because he's responsible for 90% of the New Testament. Come on. But he did a work in him before he did it through him. And then it says a bondservant of Christ. Now, a simple definition of what a bondservant is. It is a person bound in service without wages. Now, what did we get done talking about? Again, I asked you this already. <laughs> In the whole month of December. Service. A bondservant. A man or somebody bound in, servant, uh, in service. 
without wages. Now it says a bond servant of Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of us serving on this earth, I don't know how else to say it, there's no eloquent way to say it, is to create an avenue to share the gospel. I mean, that's, that's it. Walk into this church and don't say, how can this church serve me? Rather say, what can I do to serve? How can the Lord use me to serve? But then also, how can He use you to serve in your community? So that there's an avenue created for you to bring this message. It is a requirement of the messenger to be willing to serve. But he's bound in service of and to Jesus Christ. If I have two dogs in front of me, love them. I've got two Alaskan Malamutes. Right? Big old furry guys. They think they're lap dogs. They're about 100 pounds apiece. One's named Moses, the other one is named Samson. It's just, that's just what we did, okay? <laughs> Moses is actually the younger one, even though Samson comes, I think Moses comes first in the Bible. But, I got these two dogs in front of me. One's my relationship with Christ, the other one is sin. Whichever one I feed the most is the one that's going to get stronger. See, the reason why he's a bondservant to Jesus Christ is because he could be a bondservant to anybody. We could be a bondservant to our sin. Bound in service to my sin. Do you realize that the life that we live, because of our sinful nature, before we give our lives to the Lord, we are bound in service to our sin. Man. Feed your sin, it'll grow. Feed your relationship with Christ, and it will grow. Whichever one you want to feed is kind of like up to you. This man is a bond servant, bound in service without wages to Jesus Christ. Let me say this. If you are bound to anything else than Jesus, then you cannot take this message into your social environment without being completely picked apart by your environment. If you're not bound in service to Jesus Christ, I guarantee you'll chicken out. That's it. I'll chicken out. Uh, it's happened to me before. Because I was more interested in satisfaction and comfortability. That's what sin does. Give up your right to yourself. That's what being a bondservant is. Give up your right to you. You give it to the Lord. And therefore, Luke 9.23 comes in. Die to yourself. Pick up your cross and follow Him daily. You with me this morning? Amen. He says, called as an apostle. Paul was also a tent maker. You know what it doesn't say up there? That he was called as a tent maker. I don't know how often... Well, let me just say this. When I opened up the series with, with serving. I told you guys, look, I love construction, but that's just something that I do. That's not who I am. Who I am is a son of God. Yes. And because of that, there's an anointing in that that the Lord has uncovered. Paul is not leading with what he does. I love construction. I love to do that. I love to build things, okay? But there's no amount of building things that will sufficiently bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll tell you what I am. My anointing is as a pastor. My anointing is as a shepherd. What Paul is saying is that as a messenger, the most effective way to communicate this message is through my anointing as an apostle. The most effective way for me to communicate this message to anybody who I come in contact with is exactly the person that God made me to be. I am a shepherd. I approach everything like a shepherd. I just do. Because the wisdom comes quicker when I do that. Because I'm approaching it within my anointing. I want so much for each person and individual in here to know what your anointing is so that you can approach life 
through the proper working of who God has made you to be. Not what you do, but who you are. Does that make sense? Now there's more to that apostle. There's way more to it. It's rocking my dad's world to look at Romans through the, the view of an apostle. More so than just let's read through it. Totally changing his perspective. And we'll get to some of that at the end of this. Being sent according to his gifting. And then it says set apart. Another word for set apart is sanctification. Sanctification means being set apart. Right? But Paul, it's interesting that he denotes this. Set apart for the gospel. Paul used to be a Pharisee. And the Greek word for Pharisee, if I say it right, is Pharisaios. Um, and the Greek translation of that word actually means to separate, to be a separatist. But as a Pharisee, those, that group of people believed that they were actually separate from sin. So they would spend their time dividing the law, breaking up the law, telling people what to do. Being a Pharisee, you've ever, you know, been yes. talked to by somebody and said, hey, you're just talking like a Pharisee right now. It's not a term of endearment. You know, it just isn't. It's because what Pharisees do is they, they make it about the law. That's who Paul used to be. Now what he's saying in his address, in his, in his introduction to the people, he's, he's saying, I'm no longer a separatist. I'm no longer a Pharisee. I want you to know that I'm separated. Not for myself, not for the law, but strictly for the gospel of God. His anointing allows him to then carry that message of the gospel into his social environment because he's a bondservant of the Christ of Christ Jesus. He's sold out and bound in service to Christ. Paul, who used to be Saul, who used to ride on his high horse. I'll tell you what, the Lord can use anybody. There's so much in that first verse that I no, each and every one of you in here is set apart for the gospel. If Jesus resides in your heart, you are then set apart to do what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. What are you going to give them? You going to give them you? That ain't going to work. You got to give them the gospel. The only thing that's going to save them. So we got the message. We got the messenger. You guys with me this morning? The message is the righteousness of God. Justifying an unrighteous man. So that we can be a messenger to bring that message to the rest of the world. Now the interesting thing about Paul being an apostle is we kind of bring this to a close is that if you go to Ephesians 2, 20, and I think we might have that in there. Um, I know you have it on your, your bulletin. But this is in response to the proper working of what an apostle does. An apostle is responsible to be an ambassador. If you have any questions about what an apostle is supposed to do, get a meeting with my dad because he operates in that gifting. He just does. Modern day apostles aren't responsible for writing more scripture. That's taken care of. But when it comes to walking in that office, they're sent to be ambassadors. They're sent to establish. They're sent to, they're sent to impart. And they're sent to govern. There's a lot in there. Paul makes a statement in chapter 15, which we'll get to here in a second, but this verse is Paul speaking and basically saying that I don't want to preach the gospel anywhere where it's already been preached. I only want to go and preach where it hasn't been heard. Having been built on the foundations of the apostle and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, because I want you to get all of this, let me, 
Let me read verse. Do we have 17? Do we have se all the ones in there? 17, 18, 19? Do we? Romans uh, or? Ephesians. No? Okay. Sorry. Are you good? 2.20. That's not 3. Okay, here we go. Okay. Let me take you to... I'm thinking about the, um, the verse in Romans. It's not in Ephesians. I'm sorry. I misled you. Don't, don't leave. Don't everybody leave now. Okay? <laughs> but what this is speaking to is that a foundation being built is a responsibility of an apostle. Establishing a work is the responsibility of an apostle. We know the church in Rome to, have been, to not have been established by any apostle. It was from Pentecost. It's believed that from Pentecost, believers who were of um, who were Roman uh, took what they saw and what they experienced back to Rome, and then a church started from there. But Paul never went in and established like he did the church of Ephesus or Corinth or um, anywhere on his missionary journeys. So if he makes a statement, okay, and this is what I was speaking of um, in chapter fifteen. Verse 20. I think it was the, the verses 20 that got me messed up there. He says this. He makes a statement. And I'm going to read verse from verse 18. It says, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Jesus has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout, as far as... Elicrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And here's verse 20. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. How do we reconcile that verse? Not building on another man's foundation, yet this church has already been founded with the fact that Ephesians 2.20 says that the founding of, an, uh, of a work is responsible to the apostle. How do, we, how do we take those two truths and not butt them up against each other? They, anything from Genesis to Revelation, I tell you, runs parallel. You just have to dig. The Lord's not going to speak out of both sides of His mouth. Well, it's interesting that what is being communicated in Paul's working here as he goes into Rome, this book is not about the fivefold. But we see the operating and the structure of the fivefold in Paul's um, desire to go establish what's in Rome. He's responsible to go establish by way of what? Nothing but the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet in Rome it's being preached and being proclaimed that their faith is just that, being proclaimed throughout the world. So Paul says this in verse 8, uh, excuse me, verse 11. It says, for I long, of chapter 1, For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. He's working according to the proper working of each individual part. That you will see in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. That his peace, he believed that he needed to go there and give that peace. I don't know if the prophet gave his piece. I don't know if the evangelist gave his piece. I mean, the reason why I'm saying I don't know is because I'm not going to try to pull something out of Scripture and, and say, hey, here's the other four. When I get to studying that, I'll bring it to you. I just don't know it yet. But Paul is operating in the five, the gifting of the fivefold right now to go and establish none other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you this question. What is your life established on? Is it anything other than the gospel? Because if it is, I'm going to ask you to take a second look at it. I really am. We also see in Romans that the only way to heaven is that a man professes with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in his heart that he did what he did. And asking the Lord into your heart so that you can receive the gift of salvation. You know what the second half of Romans 6.23 says? What did I say? For the wages of sin is death. 
But what, is, what does the next half of that, that scripture say? It says this, But the free gift of God is salvation. That right there is the righteousness of God. That right there is why I am sold out to this gospel. Because it's something I couldn't earn, something I don't deserve, but yet He freely gave it if I would just accept it. My life has to be established on the gospel. Because anything else is insufficient. The gospel leads to so many other things. Obviously, it leads to Genesis, to Revelation. Okay? But what would a church so on fire about the gospel look like in the community? Complete transformation. Amen? So, let's get prepared for our offering and I'll get the worship team to come back up here. But I don't want to miss an opportunity. If we're preaching about the gospel of Jesus, that maybe, maybe somebody in here has never prayed that prayer. Maybe you've been operating in a, honestly, a false truth that if I do of the Word, or excuse me, if I do good things, that's what will get me into heaven. If I walk enough old ladies across the street and carry groceries out to the car, then I'm good. Um, every single Sunday from here on out, there will be a call to give your life to the Lord. To not do that is to not have my, my eyes centered on the right thing. You guys can come up here. So let's just, let's just pray real quick before we jump into this benediction and closing. Father, I thank you, Lord, for just the potency of your word and how you peel it back. You show us your righteousness. You show us your, your greatness. Father, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray as we take up this offering that you would just show us how to give, show us how to give joyfully. And Lord, whatever's put in there, I pray that it's, it's a blessing to you. It's a blessing to you, Lord, so that we recognize who's our provider. We recognize what your word says about giving. It's the only place in the word where you say, test me and watch me bless you. And so Lord, bless the offering so that we can bless you with it. Lord, we can use your resources to continue what we're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can go ahead and pass that. righteousness of God is wrapped up in the fact that sin has separated you and I from the goodness of who Jesus is. A gap has been created because of our sinful nature, because of my sinful nature. And what Christ did is His trek to the cross, His bloody, brutal beating, hanging on the cross, dying for us, and then getting up out of the tomb did one thing. It paid for the penalty of sin and it closed the gap. See, he was thinking about you when he was on the cross. He was thinking about Alex Square when he was hanging there, being spat on, cut in the side with a spear. All he could think about was, I need to do this so that they can get to me, so that you can get to him. He closed that gap with His sacrifice. What that allows us to do is it allows us to take everything that we know about Jesus, our head knowledge, and turn it into heart knowledge. And then turn it into feet or foot knowledge, whatever that looks like, and go walk it out. Because it's a gift that we cannot earn. We did not deserve. But it's freely given. And if there's anybody in here today has not asked for that gift. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. For a couple reasons. We're about to take communion. The Lord says that it's very, very clear in His Word that if you don't know Him, to, don't, to not partake in communion. 
But what I love about what we just got done reading is that the Lord, that, that through Paul, he takes us through the, the recognition of sin. He takes us to God's solution. And then after that, he takes us to the purpose of the gospel, the goal of the gospel. When there's an issue, the Lord has a solution. If the issue in your life is you don't know him, guess what? There's a solution. He wants you to know him. And all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is your Lord and personal Savior. So let's pray. Father, I pray that if anybody in here has not done that, or maybe they thought they did and they realizing that maybe it wasn't what they thought it was. Lord, that you would take them to a place where you, they understand that it's only you who can change their heart. And that's what you're trying to do in this moment. And God, I pray that if anybody wants to take the leap and transfer their trust from themselves to you right now in this moment, that Lord, they would just raise their hand and we will pray with them and welcome them into the kingdom of God anybody is in here who wants that transformed life just raise your hand just raise your hand thank you Jesus thank you Lord we thank you for your gift Father and just ask for more of you in Jesus name amen alright so with communion what I'm going to have you do is just stand up, come down the center aisle. I got communion to my left and to my right. Get what you need, take it back to your seat, and then I'll close, close the service. So let's go ahead and stand to our feet and take this. You guys can come up front, come on down the aisle. We got it up here so you can come get what you need. for what you show us in your word about what we have in our hand. You're sitting with your disciples, Lord, in the upper room and you pick up a loaf of bread and you break it and you pass it around and you speak to your disciples and you say, hey, look, this is, this is a representation of my body. My body is a sacrifice for you. And yes, Lord, we thank you for that. It's what was needed in order to bridge the gap with sin. It's the only thing that would pay, pay the price. Lord, and you told your disciples to eat that, that bread as, as we do today. We, we, we take that way for we eat it, Lord. And we do that in remembrance of you. Having you on our mind as we, as we ingest that, Father. And then you also took the cup. And you passed it around and you spoke to your disciples saying that this is a representation of my blood. That which was spilled out, poured out as an offering for you, for us. And Lord, we know communion to be just a memorial to you, to your sacrifice, Father. To what you did for us on the cross. And we drink that cup, Lord, we we take in these, these sacraments. And we do these in remembrance of you, in remembrance of your sacrifice for us, Lord. I, I pray that as, as we meditate and contemplate who you are, the vastness of who you are, it can get our heart right with you. We can use communion to bring ourselves back in alignment with the heart of Christ. That your free gift is what has set us free. We are eternally grateful for that. Father, we love you. We thank you.
justified by faith out of our system and because of that Lord again we are eternally grateful we become servants to you use us as you would it's not by our mind it's not by our power but it's by yours work in us and through us in Jesus name everybody said amen you got it 